So we are in a new series this, this month. It's November already. It's hard to believe that Christmas is basically tomorrow. So I hope you started on your Christmas shopping. Uh, we are doing a series for the month of November that's called Some Assembly Required. And how many of you know that, uh, you know, with the holidays being in full swing, it's going to be a busy season. And uh, we are going to be assembling together with not only in church, but also with the people that we love. You know, that's the one common theme in all of the major holidays and major events in life is that we want to share it. We're wired to want to share it with people that we love, people that we care about, people that we're close to. We, we are wired to want to assemble together. And it's not just true in the holidays. It's true in any aspect of our life when we, uh, when we have events in our life. But it's not just for those big events. We're actually designed to be assembling and be in community all the time. And what we want to do this month is just look at what they said, kind of the nuts and bolts of community, what that looks like to biblically apply that to our lives as followers of Jesus, what it looks like to be in community uh, and what God's heart is for that, because we are all wired for it. And, uh, you know, the enemy who uh, always wants to do the opposite of what God wants to do in your life, he would look to isolate us. He would want to isolate us. That's his goal. He wants you to think that community is no big deal, you know, that Christians are just a bunch of weirdos anyway, so why do you want to be with them, right? We are weirdos, but we love Jesus, and we're good weirdos. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm the leader of the weirdos, so it's fine. Um, But that's what the enemy would want, but the Lord would want us to all be in community together. And So what we've done is we've put together this series and actually got a verse that is going to be our theme verse for the month, just like we had last month. We're going to share a verse each week this month. We're going to try to drill it. And, and get it in, get it in our heart and our spirit so that it'll become part of who we are. So as I read that verse, if you guys wouldn't mind standing with me, just in honor of reading the word this morning. It's out of Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. This is the Apostle Paul, his letter to the Roman church. He said, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though, who, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. Amen? We are not meant to be isolated. We're meant to be many parts of one body. And so my uh, title today for my message is Why Community? We're going to answer the question, why do we need community as followers of Jesus? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we do love you today. Thank you for your presence in this place. God, we're so blessed. We're so blessed to be able to come boldly into your presence, not because we're good enough, or because of what we've done, but because of who you are and your great love for us. So God, I pray you do your work in our hearts today. Continue to do your work. Let your manifest presence be evident in our life. Change our hearts. Make us more like you. We give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Before you're seated, look to someone and say, I belong to you and you belong to me. Somebody might have done that kind of creepy. I hope you didn't, though. <laughs> you belong to me. That's not what that was meant to be. So, so how many of you know that community has been under attack? Right? Community has been under attack over the last seven, eight months, whatever it's been now. It feels like seven, eight years. <laughs> but uh, since this pandemic started, community has been very difficult. Between the shelter in place, between the, the shutdowns, the layoffs, um, and just the outright fear that has crippled so many people, it's been very difficult to have thriving community during this time. And we've even seen that anger 
has escalated during this time. And don't think that there's not a correlation between that and the lack of community we've been able to have. I know we're in election season and that anger is always a little elevated during election season, but you, you throw in the fact that we can't be in community, it makes a big, big difference. And, and part of the reason for that is, especially in today's society, is because now when we don't have community like this, we can get some, some uh, faux or fake community through online. Not all of it's fake, but a lot of it is, obviously. But what we, can, what we do is when we get behind a computer screen or a phone, we can display anger. We can, we can be much more uh, harsh. We can be downright mean sometimes because we're hiding behind something no one can see us. You know, we can be, we can be more of a jerk when people can't see us. That's why when you're behind the wheel of a car, you can act like a jerk and yell at the person that you did something you didn't like because you know they can't see you or hear you, right? The darker the window tint, the bigger the jerk you can be. Never trust somebody with dark windows in their car. I'm just kidding. You can trust them a little. But that's how it is, right? That's how we're, we're wired. When we're separated from community, we can be, we can act or respond in a way that is not necessarily how we would want to be. But we are designed for community. We're wired to be part of a thriving community in our life. And there's no better community than the community of the body of believers. Amen? That's the community that we as followers of Jesus want to be part of. That's the community that we want to be active in and thriving in. And see, the church has been, uh, has been affected by this pandemic as well. The community of the church. Statistically, I read just this week that nationally, the average church attendance today is 36% of what it was pre-pandemic. 36%. That means almost six and a half out of 10 people have not come back to church that were going to church before this happened. That's a lot of people. That is a big, big hole in our community, isn't it? I mean, we even see it here. We, we've seen it here. We've seen it everywhere. I talk to pastors all the time that we're all dealing with the same thing when it comes to people being able to connect to community. You know, we're thankful. We praise God for the online opportunity that we can give people, but we also know it's not quite the same thing when we're online because we can't, it, there's something about being able to feel each other all together and be part of one body like this, right? And so we hope that most of the online is temporary. Uh, we're thankful that we can do it, but we want to encourage you guys as soon as you can to come back because we miss you and we really want you here. Amen? Amen. Say it loud so they can hear you guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is what God has created us for, is for community. And I am convinced more than ever, church, I am so convinced in my heart that, that the design is for us to be in community and the fact that this church is always going to work hard to be a place where we can build community, to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ for the believer that we would grow our community, that we would see the lost saved, the, the hurt healed, the outcast brought in, all of those things that, that is so important. And that's why it's so easy for us to feel like community is under attack because the enemy wants nothing more than to divide and, and, and push us apart and keep us from actually being a community. So to answer the, the why of community, we first must understand what community is because there's probably some misconceptions as to what community even is in us. And first of all, I think the first misconception that we need to debunk today is that community is not just showing up. Community is not just checking your name off and being in attendance. You know, we're not so concerned about attendance numbers here at church. This isn't, 
This isn't, uh, this series isn't some sneaky little ploy to try to get the attendance numbers to come up. That's, that's not what we're looking for first and foremost. What we're looking for is people that are committed, people that are invested. Because to be, to be part of community, it's more than showing up, it's about being known. You're not part of community unless you're known. In fact, I, I just kind of came up with three C's that kind of explain what community is. And I'm just gonna go through them very quickly. First of all, it's being committed, it's being connected, and it's being cohesive. That's what community is. And let me break them down just a little bit. Committed, you know, there's a difference between attending and committing, right? I shared a few months ago, we had to buy a new car because another one of our kids started driving. And when I, we went to look at this car and we took it on a test drive, my attitude test driving this car was a lot different than it was a few minutes later after I signed on the, on the dotted line. When I was test driving, I wanted to kind of see what it had in it. I wanted to see how good the brakes were, you know? Once it was my car, I was a little softer on the brakes, a little easier on the gas because it was my gas I'm putting in it now. You know, when there's a commitment there, the approach is completely different than when we're just test driving. When we're just dipping our toes in the water, kind of seeing, feeling it out a little bit and seeing how it's going to be. Commitment, commitment is about being invested. I have an investment in that car now, so now I care what happens to that car. If I'm invested in my community, I care about what happens in my community. Whatever that community is. If it's body of believers or if it's your community at work or your family, whatever it is, when you're invested, you care about it. A lot more than you do on test drive. So we, we're committed if we're part of community. We're also connected. You can, be, you can be in the room and still not be connected. We all know that, right? You can be with a group of people and be completely lonely. And the best way I can describe connectivity is when you think of a chain. A chain is made up of many links, right? And if those links are all working together and they're connected to each other, that chain is very strong. That chain is fulfilling its purpose for what it's been designed for. But if it's just a bunch of links that aren't connected to each other and you throw them in a bucket, it's not doing much, is it? It's not very effective. It's not... It's not fulfilling its purpose. It has to be connected. The, the links are dependent on each other. It's important that they work together. That's what community is. It's being connected to each other. It's being dependent on each other. It's that if one of us breaks, the, other, the rest of us feel it. That's why the Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those that mourn. That's what community is like. That's what connected is like. And then third, it was cohesive. We want to be cohesive to be in community. It's very important that we work together to be part of the whole, that we are a bonding agent, that we are about bringing people together, that we are glue that holds the community together, that we're not just an outside observer seeing how things go, but we're actually part of the solution. We're part of building the community and doing our part. The Bible tells us that we all are a part of the body, every one of us, though we're different parts. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, I think, says that you know, you have an ear, you have an eye, you have a hand, you have a foot. The ear can't say to the eye, I don't need you. The hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. It doesn't, we can't say to each other we don't need each other just because we're not the same. We're all working together to make that community, to make that body affect or function the way that it is supposed to. And some of you may say, well, you know, I, I love Jesus, but do I really need Christians? I've heard that plenty. People that, that don't want to affiliate with a, a body. They say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, but I just, I don't need Christians. Maybe it's because they got hurt. Maybe they were, were betrayed. Maybe they felt uh, abused, manipulated, um, shamed. Whatever it might be, whatever has caused that disconnect from community. They saw hypocrisy that bothered them. 
and they've allowed themselves to get completely disconnected. They still see the value in, in knowing Jesus and needing a Savior, but really don't want to be connected to the body. And I would say today that it is so important that we are connected to the body. There, it's, it's not, it is not God's plan for us to be disconnected. Because that disconnect usually comes from a place of hurt in our life. That's the enemy using that hurt to keep us from really being connected the way God wants us to. And the reason that I can say that we need to be connected is because of what Jesus said in John 10.10. Most of you know this verse. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief is your enemy, Satan. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his goal. That is his mission. That is his desire for your life and for mine. But Jesus said, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Amen? So we see the enemy's plan and we see Jesus' plan all in one short verse in John 10, 10. Jesus' plan is that we would have life abundantly. I believe that is life where we are thriving, not necessarily with having everything we need, but we are thriving in here because we know who we are and we're living the life of a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. But you know what? I've never in my life seen someone that I would say that person's living an abundant life that's isolated and away from community. Never seen it. Maybe it's possible. I don't know how. I highly doubt it. Even the most introverted person still needs community, still needs people. They might not have to hang out every night till midnight like the extroverts do, but they still need community. We all do because we're not meant to do this on our own. So the enemy would want to steal, kill you, and ultimately destroy you. Jesus says, I want to give you life, and I want to give it to you abundantly. But it comes in the confines of community. Always, 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 always comes in community. Proverbs 27, 17 reinforces that. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's a great analogy in the book of Proverbs. Iron is a wonderful thing. It can be used for many things. It's, it can be shaped into tool, a tool and used for something. It's a wonderful thing. But if there's no other iron around, eventually that thing's going to get dull. And it's going to become less effective. And it's not going to be able to be used for the purpose it was created. It needs more iron to sharpen it to bring it back to life. And that's who we are. It says, so as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One woman sharpens another. So one teenager sharpens their parent. Amen. <laughs> Some of you missed that one. We're all iron. We, need, we sharpen each other. That's about community. It's about being in community together. But it's important that we're part of a healthy community because community itself, just in the term, does not necessarily mean health. There are very unhealthy communities out there that you can be part of too, right? If you're part of a, you got a group of uh, drinking buddies, that's a community. I wouldn't say it's a healthy one, but it's a community. You could be part of a, a, a relationship, friend circle, that every time you're with them, they lead you into things you know you shouldn't be doing, getting in trouble. Youth, teenagers, yeah, I see they're pointing at each other already. That's community, but it's not a healthy community. You know, the reason we have a youth group in churches is to give them a community where they're with people that are like-minded and of the same age. The reason we have a children's ministry is because we're trying to give them community inside of community. The reason we have connect groups is to give you community inside a community. The reason we have a legacy group is to give community inside a community for the seniors. Because those things are important. But it's, it's got to be a healthy community because a bad community will do the opposite of what a healthy community does. A healthy community builds us up, challenges us, encourages us, hopefully causes us to grow closer with our Lord and Savior. 
But a bad community will do just the opposite. It'll tear us down and take us to places that we don't want to go. So we have to make sure we're choosing good communities. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says it all. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Paul is telling us, don't think that you're better than all of them and you can fix every one of them. Okay? It doesn't mean we don't have relationships with people that aren't the same mind as us. That, that's not what that means at all. We absolutely need to be in relationship. But there's something different about community. You don't find community with those people that you work with that are heathens and don't love Jesus. Right? That's not where you find your community. You try to be a light to them. You try to be salt to them. You try to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. But that's not your community. Your community is here with people that are like-minded, have the same mission, the same goal, the same heart as you. And then we can all move forward together. So I want to give you three answers to the question, why community today? And I want to start with a big one. Why we need community is because we are in a war. We are in a war, church. You guys know that, right? We are in a war. We are in a war today. We will be in a war tomorrow. We will be in a war next week, next month, next year. When this pandemic's gone, we will still be in a war. We are going to be in a war personally until we see Jesus face to face. And there will be a war on this earth until the day when Jesus comes back and takes his rightful place. We will be in a war. And we need to understand that we are in a war, but we need to understand who we're in a war against. Because we are not in a war against people. You're not in a war against your boss. You're not in a war against your spouse or your teenagers. You're not in a war against any person. You're not in a war against the opposite political party from the one you subscribe to. You're not in a war against people. You are in a spiritual war. You have an an adversary, an enemy that hates you, despises you, and is trying to steal from you, to kill you, and ultimately to destroy you. That is not something old from the past. That is something that is today. We are in a war, and we are not meant to fight this war alone. But we have to recognize and understand that we are in a war. See, the problem with us, especially I think here in the United States, is that it doesn't always feel like we're in a war, does it? I think a lot of times we feel like, you know, life's pretty good. I mean... I haven't been persecuted for my faith any time recently. I don't know if any of you have, but I mean, I, don't, I can't remember the last time somebody really gave me a hard time about the fact that I love Jesus. So we can obviously, we can get to that place where we don't feel like, we don't recognize the fact that we're in a war. Let me, let me ask you guys something. So if we're in a war with the enemy, and, and you know, he knows the back of the book too. He knows he's going to lose eventually. It's not a secret. He knows it. So he knows he's going to lose the war. So if you're, a, if you're in a war with somebody, a conflict, and you know there's no way you can win, what's the, one of the best tactics you can do is to make that enemy think that there is no war. To be subtle enough that your enemy thinks that there, nothing's happening. And then what you do is under the cover of darkness, you do little subtle things. You slowly chip away. You chip away trying to get to the point to where you actually feel like you can do some real damage. That's what the enemy's doing to us, church. He's gotten us, he's, he's lulled the church to sleep. He's lulled us to sleep. 
where we feel like it, there's not really a war. I don't like talking about spiritual warfare. That's, that's weird. That gets all kooky when we start talking about spiritual warfare and, and, and demons and head spinning and all weird stuff, foaming at the mouth and all these weird things. And we just, no, no, that's not, that's not really happening. You know, everything's good. God's good. I'm saved. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And we just kind of discard it, throw it out. When in reality, that's exactly what your adversary wants you to do. He wants you to just think it's no big deal. But let's look at what Paul says. In Ephesians 6, 12, this is the chapter where he's telling us to put on the armor of God. Which, by the way, I don't know anyone who would put on armor that's not going into battle. And this isn't a verse for pastors or apostles or evangelists. This is a verse for followers of Jesus. So you and me. Okay, here we go. He tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me read that first part again. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against people. It is not against a political party. It is not against any human being, church. We have to remember this. In fact, say it after me. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let's believe it, church. Let's believe it. It's not. It is against your enemy, the enemy of your soul, against the powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That sounds like some crazy Star Wars stuff, doesn't it? It, it can get kind of weird, almost make it hard to understand, but it's actually really, really simple. There's an enemy that you can't see with your eyes that hates your guts that's trying everything in his power to destroy you. That's what it is, bottom line. Now, we don't have to fear him. Because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. He has been defeated. He's under our feet. We can walk in that authority, but we need to understand just because we beat him one day doesn't mean he's going to lay down the next day. He's going to be there. He's going to be our adversary till we're with Jesus. Then we don't have to worry about him ever again. And man, will that be glorious. But until then, we have to know that we are in a battle. But man, I love what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 16, 18, look what he says. He says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. It will not. That's Jesus telling us, though, we're in a war. He's building his church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. We, I've talked about this before. The gates of hell. A gate is not a, uh, an army. It's not, a, it's not something that can advance. It's a gate protecting hell. And he's saying the gates of hell will not prevail. That means we're advancing. That means we are going into the gates of hell. We're, we're pushing through the gates of hell. We're not going in there to kill people. We're going in there to snatch them out and bring them into, from death to life, right? So we're on a mission. We're in a war that, that God has called us to. Jesus has told us that we are to advance this kingdom of God. There's two kingdoms fighting against each other, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of our enemy. And the kingdom of God is meant to advance in John 16, 33, very famous verse, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I think you could translate that. You could just easily say, without doing violence to the scripture, you could say, in this world, you're going to be in a war. Oh, but you can take heart because I have overcome the world. He's overcome it. But church, that doesn't mean it's done. It doesn't mean the war is over. The, 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 the victory is secure. The, the end of the book is secure. But we are in a battle. And we have to recognize that and know that. And the reason I'm talking about that in the context of a sermon on community is because we have to understand that we are not meant to fight this battle alone. We are an army. 
We are the army of God, and I've never heard of a one-man army. I know Rambo did it, but that was fake. All right, there's no real armies with one person. We are meant to do this together, to, to steal the, log- the slogan from uh, the U.S. Army. We are an army of one. We might be a lot of people, but we are an army of one. We are one body. We are designed to be in this together. My text verse says that we belong to each other. I belong to you. You belong to me. That is because we are in a war and we need each other. There's strength in numbers. Amen? There's strength in numbers. When you were a kid, if you had to go down in the basement by yourself, you're terrified. If you went down to the basement with two other little kids that were no stronger than you, everything was fine. Right? Even though that boogeyman that you were afraid of could take all three of you, there's just something about having numbers. Right? There's strength in numbers. And I've said it before, and I will continue to say it. When you signed up for this journey of faith, when you, when you came to that point where you said, yes, I am a sinner, and I need a Savior. And Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Save me from myself. My life is yours, Jesus. I receive what you did for me. I believe that you were the Son of God, that you died on a cross, and that three days later you rose from the dead and you were seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me. When you believe that and you started this journey of faith, you did not sign up to be part of Club Med. You signed up to be in a war. You signed up for an army. You enlisted in an army because you just got the devil's attention when you went from being lost to being found. Now you got his attention. You know, he leaves people alone that aren't messing with him. But he has, he has his radar up for those of us that are affecting his kingdom because he wants to keep his kingdom intact too. And so we have signed up for an army. And some of you, you may have been, you may have been misled in your past when it came to what salvation, what a life of faith in Jesus really looks like. But this is what it looks like. This is the truth. And we as a church, we as followers of Jesus, have got to get to that place where we understand that this is the life we signed up for. That it's not about trying to get Jesus to fix all of our problems and live as peacefully and problem-free as possible, but it is about suiting ourselves up with the armor that he gives us to be a soldier for him to go and affect the enemy's kingdom, and to expand God's kingdom. That's what your life was designed for, and that's what my life was designed for. Not just the ministry staff, the vocational ministry people. We are all ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're all called to walk that out in our life. And you know, our mission here at this church is simple. And I, I, I put it on the screen a good bit. We're going to put it up there again today because I feel part of my job is to keep the mission of this church in front of you. So if you're going to be part of New Hope, you know what you're in for. You know where we're going and you know how we're going to get there. The mission of this church is to reach those far from God and to lead people to their next step in a God-first life. Very simple. That is the mission of this church. That is why we are here today. That's why I'm here today. And I hope that that's why you are part of this church too because you wanna help us do that. You wanna help us reach people far from God. And I'm telling you, if we wanna reach people far from God, that's what it is to storm the gates of hell. When Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail, that he's telling us, you're gonna be able to reach people. The harvest is ripe, you're gonna be able to go get them. I'm gonna put my spirit in you and he's gonna lead you and guide you and you're gonna be able to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utter ends of the world. And as a church, it's so important for us. It is so vital, so crucial for us that we grasp that, that we live that, that that's a part of our life, that that's not a series we do for a month out of the year, but that's our life. 
that we get away from being self-involved in our faith and we actually say, okay, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I'm actually a mess, but I know the Holy Spirit is in me and I know I have something to give these people over here to show them there's more to life than what they're living. That should be our lifestyle. That should be something we do, what we did Friday night and bringing people on this property that we know didn't know Jesus. That's a wonderful thing and it felt so good, but that should be our life. Bringing people into our home that don't know Jesus, having a meal with them, showing them the love of Jesus. Whatever it looks like, helping a buddy from work move on a day when it's going to be really inconvenient for you and just talking to him about your faith a little bit. Whatever it looks like, but that that would be a part of our life. Not just something we think about on Sunday mornings, but all the time that, God, how can I expand your kingdom? How can I be part of what you're doing, God? And when we're connected to community, it helps, it makes it to where we have more We have more of an ability to be able to fulfill God's mission when we're doing it together. Because, you know, the army is just, all it is is a community with a mission. That's what an army is. It's a community with a mission. And that's who we are. We are a community with a mission. And you need to be with people that are on a mission. Not aimlessly floating around, but people that are going somewhere. And we, as a church, are going somewhere. We're going to the gates of hell. And we're going to reach people. We're going to continue to do everything we can do until Jesus calls us home to reach people. But if we're going to win a war, we have to have unity. This cannot be overstated. I'm going to go a little bit down a little bit of a rabbit hole here in talking about community. But I just feel so strongly that it's so important that we have unity in the church because you can't have community without unity. You can't spell community without unity, so you obviously can't have community without unity. It's so vitally important because it brings strength in the body, in the community. You know, we hinder the gospel and God's work in our life when we don't have unity. It actually hinders the work of God. And so what do you think the enemy is going to do? He's going to try to bring disunity. He's going to try to sow dissension. He's going to try to divide. He's going to try to cause problems. He's going to try to He's going to try to put it in, in your mind when you're part of this community, the, the things that you don't like about the church or the people here, or the little things that bug you that you think the music should be louder, the music's too loud. We hear that on, on a, one Sunday, you'll hear both sides. And, you know, well, I don't know what to do because some people think it's too loud. Some people think it's not loud enough. But to get all involved with ourselves or like, you know, the, the preacher preaches too long or he doesn't preach long enough or he's too short. He doesn't wear a tie on Sundays or these things that in the end of the end of the day don't really matter a whole lot but that we can get really worked up about, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to sow that dissension, keep us from being unified. Because look at what Jesus said in John 17. This is when he's praying for you and me, right before he went to the cross. He said that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, unified. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So he's praying that we would be unified. Here's why we need to be unified. He goes on to tell us why. He said, because then the world will know that you sent me and and have loved them as you have loved me. So unity will help the world to see who Jesus is. That tells me that unity should be the top of the list for us, church top of the list, a top priority for us. If there was no battle, if there was no war, Jesus wouldn't have had to pray this because the truth is right there for everybody to see. 
right? If there's no enemy trying to keep people from believing the truth, we would just say the truth to people. They'd hear it. They'd go, that makes sense. They'd believe it, right? But the enemy is trying hard to keep that from happening. He's trying to keep the truth from penetrating the hearts of people. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 4. Look what he says. It says, the God of this age, that's Satan, it's a small g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan's trying to blind people from being able to see, and Jesus says if we're unified, people will see. Man, I mean, I don't like to break it down to a formula. It's not always that simple, but this sounds pretty simple. He says if we're unified, the world will know that God sent Jesus to be our Savior. Not just know here, but they'll know here. They'll be able to see. The eyes will be opened. The blinders will be taken off. And Satan's doing everything he can do to keep the blinders on. But Jesus says, if we're unified, there's nothing he can do about it. The world's going to see it. They're going to see that he is who he says he is. And maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons that the people are not believing the gospel as much as we would want them to is because we're not unified. I mean, you can't deny that the numbers that people that say they're affiliated with a church, with Christianity in general, have declined. And maybe it's because the church has been disunified. Maybe. It's something that's worth thinking about. And let me tell you, unity is not about being nice to each other. We have to understand what unity is. It's a lot more than just being nice to each other. We can be nice to each other and be completely disunified. Unity is about going the same direction. We have one mission, one focus, and we're going there together. That's why we put the mission up there. That's where we're going. We're going to the same place. If we're part of this body, we are going this direction. We're going to reach lost people, and we're going to disciple people, help them take their next step in their faith. That's where we're going. That's what unity is. It's about sacrificing to make sure that we all keep going that same direction. It's not about avoiding conflict at all costs. It's about dealing with conflict. It's about conflict resolution. You know, conflict, people, naturally people avoid conflict like the plague. People hate conflict. They just rather not talk about it and they rather avoid it. Let me tell you, that is not building unity. Unity is actually built as we deal with conflict, as we resolve conflict, right? All, and everybody in the house that's married knows that. You know, when there's something that happens, you just don't want to deal with it because you don't want to have a fight. You just try to ignore it, but it sits there and it festers. And next thing you know, your spouse does something really teeny tiny that shouldn't even bother you and you explode. But it's because that stuff's been festering. So con not resolving conflict doesn't help unify. It keeps a fake peace for a certain amount of time. But to really have unity, we have to deal with our conflicts. We're people, we're going to have differences, but we deal with the, the differences in a godly way and in a biblical way and in an appropriate way. And it will actually build unity and we'll be able to move forward. So we have to be unified. All right, the second one, and i got to get through these because I'm going to run out of time. The second why is a natural response to faith. Community is a natural response to faith. If you have given your heart to Jesus, community is a natural response. Because that's God's plan for us. That's his heart for us. We should be drawn to being in community as a follower of Jesus. God created us in community to be in community and God started it all with community in Genesis 1 he says let us create man in our image he was already had a community the father the son the holy spirit the godhead right and he says let us make man in our image and they brought Adam into community with them the Bible's clear that Adam communed with God no problem until sin came into the world right 
So the design was for community to begin with. And then the community was broken with God because of man's sin. But even after that, then God says, well, now I'm going to have to go down there and I'm going to have to make atonement for their sins, which he did by living a perfect life and dying on a rugged cross for our sins. So he brought us back into community by doing that. That was God's plan the whole time. So we've been designed for community and our response to faith and community is a reflection of our attitude and our gratitude towards Jesus and what he's done for us. If we realize from what we've been saved and we have a gratitude and understanding of really where we were and who we are and what we really deserve, but what we're actually getting from Jesus and, and the faith that we have in him, realizing that we're wretched, poor, naked, destitute, deserving of whatever the enemy wants to throw at us, but Jesus saved us from all of that because of what he did for us, when we respond to that, when we understand and have this, this gratitude for what he's done for us, it will draw us to community. Our level of depth in community is a direct reflection of our gratitude towards our Savior. It really is. Because when we get, give our heart and our life to Jesus, our priorities change. You know, our lifestyle changes. The things that mattered to us before don't matter anymore, and all of a sudden other things start to matter. Things just change in our life. We go from just living for ourselves and maybe those that are closest to us to actually wanting to do things for other people that we don't even know. A hundred of you were here Friday night serving people that you don't even know. That's a response to your faith. That's Jesus working in you. That's a great thing. That's what happens when we really understand what Jesus has done for us. We just want to, we just want to share it. Like it's the pearl of great price. Like I don't, I don't even know. I don't know exactly how to say it. All I know is Jesus is really awesome and he just changed my life completely. And I just want to share him with you because there's enough of him to go around. Amen. There's plenty of him to go around. But if your faith and your walk is really more transactional, if it's more about just keeping you out of hell and maybe what you can get from God, then it's going to affect your response to community. It's going to cause you to not necessarily feel the need to be part of it because you're just kind of in it for what you can get out of it. And that's a dangerous place to be because eventually that's a, that's a shallow faith and eventually something is going to happen that's going to cause you to actually need somebody to need that community and you're not going to have it and it's going to have possibly a more detrimental effect on your life than it would if you were in community. We are called to community. It is our purpose. It is the purpose that God has put us on this earth is to be together in community and not to be on our own. God put it in each one of us to want to belong to something. You know, we all want to belong to something. Most of you today here at church, part of the draw of church is to be able to belong to something. The better thing is to even belong to something that's bigger than you. Like it feels so good to belong to something that's bigger than you. And God put that in us because he knows that we need to be in community. And so this is kind of the doorway to getting us into community is to, to respond to that tug to want to belong to something, to want to be part of something, to have a mission in life, not just floating around aimlessly, but actually having a purpose in our life. Community is about growing you, but more importantly, it's about growing the kingdom. And we have to have a desire to grow the kingdom. Man, we have to have a desire to grow the kingdom, church. And I know we all go through seasons in life where we're more selfish than others and and we just want to get through the day and through the week. we got so much we're thinking about, and we all go through that. And, and I wouldn't judge any of you for that. We all deal with that in our life. But there's got to be 
There's got to be a place in our life for having a heart that God's kingdom would be expanded. That that would be, that would be in, the, in the list, in the top list of the priorities in our life. That it's not just about what we can do to get through this life and maybe have a few good things and, and be a good person and go on, but that we would make it a focus and a priority in our life that our life would matter to expand the kingdom of God. It has to be. It has to be. If it's not, what are we doing? What are we doing? If it was just about getting saved, as soon as we got saved, God would just take us to heaven. You have a purpose here. And it's not to get a bigger house and a newer car. Nothing wrong with those things, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose is God wants to use you to help reach those that used to be, that are where you used to be. That's our purpose. And we have to care about it. I, I heard somebody explain one time that church is, uh, church is meant to be like a huddle. Like if you think about a, watching a football game and the team's getting a huddle and they're on either side of the line of scrimmage, they're in their own little huddle, the other team's not allowed in there, it's a private thing, and what they're doing in that huddle is getting equipped. They're getting the play. They're getting the instructions for how to do what they're about to do, right? To go and try to defeat their enemy. That's what the huddle is for. And I heard somebody describe it one time, that's kind of what church is, like a Sunday morning church service. It's like a huddle. We're coming together to get equipped. We're coming together to get the play, to encourage each other and say, okay, guys, we're going to do this. Let's do this. We're getting encouraged. We're getting psyched up. We're getting pumped up. But it's so important that we leave the huddle and go to the line of scrimmage. It's important that we don't stay in the huddle. What's happened too much in the church is that we just stay in that huddle. We take that huddle with us to work, and then we take that huddle with us to our neighborhood. We take that huddle with us everywhere we go. We're never breaking the huddle. Or if we do break the huddle, we run to the sidelines and watch and hope somebody else does what we're supposed to do. When really God's saying, I want you to get out of the huddle and I want you to go to the line of scrimmage and I want you to punch the enemy in the mouth. Amen? And let me reiterate, your enemy is not a person. <laughs> it is not, N-O-T, a person. It is a very figurative thing to punch the enemy in the mouth, okay? But man, that's, that's what God wants for us. We have to get out of this mindset that it's not our responsibility to get people saved. Now, we can't save anybody. Don't, take me wrong. Don't get me wrong here. The Holy Spirit's the one that saves people. But we have a responsibility to be what he has called us to be to, for those people. Man, I was talking to a man that was serving Friday night. Such a beautiful story. He was, he was sharing. I just met him Friday night. And uh, I even asked him if I could share this. So I'm not going to say his name. But he was telling me how he had run from God for a long time. He was in Bible school for three years. And his mom passed away from cancer. And he got mad at God. And he ran away. And he said, I ran from God for a long, long time. And he said, about two years ago, he said, I was over here at the Waffle House early Sunday morning, one Sunday, getting breakfast by myself. And he said, Pastor Bowen was in there getting breakfast. And he said, for whatever reason, Pastor Bowen started talking to me, told me who he was. Next thing I knew, he was praying for me. And he said, it was exactly what I needed at the exact right time. And he said, I've been in New Hope ever since, and I love Jesus. That's it. That's all it is. And I know, you, and, and we think, you know, he, he told me this story, and I'm thinking, well, that's cool. Pastor Bowen, he's a pastor. He's paid to do that kind of stuff. No, it's not it at all. But that's our nature to think that way, isn't it? We should all be doing that. We are all ministers of the gospel. Pastor Bowen, I told him about it. He didn't even he didn't remember what he said. He should have wrote it down. We could just walk around saying that to everybody, right? It's just about being available. God, you want to use me? Here I am. I'm not eloquent. I don't have the whole Bible memorized, but I can tell people about your love. We've got to get out of that mindset. 
that it's just about getting through life, and it's not our job to try to reach people. All right, third and finally, i got to finish up. Spurring one another on. This is why we do community too. So we do community because it's, it, it, we work together as one to help advance the kingdom of God, but there's also a perk in it for us that we get to be encouraged. We spur one another on. We bless each other. As we're connected, as we're part of that chain, we are a blessing to those other links, and they're also a blessing to us. I take this directly out of Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. That's a great, that's a great thing, that we're not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So we're coming to church, we're coming together in community, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So we encourage one another, we spur one another on. Strength is not just to, the strength we have in community is not just to defeat the enemy, it's not just to grow the kingdom of God, but it's also to encourage each other. Because when we're not in community, we miss out on that huge blessing of being able to be part of a body where when the, when the eye hurts, the ear knows it. When the hand hurts, the foot knows it. You know, when my, when my finger hurts, my whole body knows it. And I hurt with it, right? That we're designed to be in community. Uh, for about, I think it was probably about eight, nine, maybe 10 years, I really wanted to get, uh, find out a way that I could, where I could work out consistently. Just not, to, not for any other reason than just I'm getting older and I want to make sure I'm taking care of my heart and I want to be healthy. I want to be around to see my, my grandkids and Lord willing, my great grandkids and if Jesus tarries, whatever. But I just wanted to, to exercise because I wouldn't get a lot of exercise. And, you know, I'd, I'd, the only time I was motivated was in the morning when I was standing in my closet and looking at my clothes and going, well, that doesn't fit. Well, that doesn't fit. <laughs> that was the only time I was motivated because by noon when I was hungry, the burger just looked too good. So it wasn't until a couple years ago, uh, Kel Silval actually turned me on to this, this organization called F3, where these, they do these small men's workout groups all over. We've got four or five of them in our area here, and they're all over the country, and actually they're international now, where men just get together and work out, and they're peer-led, and, and it's really great, and you, you just find community in this. And so I went. I decided I'm going to do it for a month, and uh, the only downside to it, other than the fact that they, you feel like you're going to die halfway through it sometimes, is that it's really early in the morning. It's, they meet at 530, and that's, you know, I... I don't know about you, but at 5.30, I like to be staring at the back of my eyelids, you know? So I knew it was going to be tough, but I, just, I dedicated myself to it. Well, after a couple months, I found myself like, I'm really part of this group of guys, and I really love it. Like, this is really great. Like, they encourage you, you know, like, especially when I was new, and some of these guys are just monsters, you know, and they're, they're doing everything with ease, you know? They're doing one-arm push-ups, and I'm doing two on my knees because I can barely do it. And they're like, man, you're doing great. Keep it up. Keep it up. And uh, we're just really encouraging. We're spurring one another on. And you find that community. And I've been doing it for two years, and I'm, I'm part of a community that I really love. And it's really, really great. You know, because let me tell you, when I wake up at 5 o'clock to go work out, if I know I'm doing it by myself, I'm going to hit that snooze at least 13 times, you know, until it's time to really get up and go to work. But when I wake up at five and I'm tired and I think there's guys that are going to be out there and they're waiting for me too and they want me there to encourage them and they're going to encourage me, it motivates you because we're meant to be in community. It's a beautiful thing. We are designed to spur each other on in community. Galatians 6, verses 9 to 10, look what it says there. It says, let us not become weary in doing good 
For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. This is about community. That's what this is. Let us do good. You can't do good to people if you're in isolation. If you're not community, you can't do good to people. And you can't receive the good they would want to do to you. Especially those who belong to the family of believers. It's Paul telling us, get in community with your believers, the body of Christ. Be in community and do good because you're going to reap a harvest. This should be the norm for us, to just be a blessing to each other in community. You know, this week at uh, my Connect group, uh, one of the guys in my group, he shared that... uh, he feels like the Lord's leading him and his wife to adopt a baby with Down syndrome. Not one they know. They're actually going to this adoption agency. They're saying, we want a Down syndrome baby. The Lord's leading him to do it. And they're, they're my age. So this is a big, big deal. And, and I, he's telling us, telling the group, and we're all, I mean, I'm up at the front. I can see all the guys. All the guys are just, their eyes are real big. And, and we're thinking, wow, this is really incredible. And one of, the, one of the guys actually started crying as he was responding to him, and it was a very emotional moment because you know this is going to be a sacrifice for this family. And the Lord just led them to do this. For, uh, they, he brought them down this path to this place to want to do this. It's a really cool story. But he's like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're excited, and, man, we just can't wait. And, uh, man, it was just such a great moment. And I remember on the way home, I was thinking, as I'm driving home, I'm thinking, man, he's really going to need community. You know, they're going to need help. It's so great that they're doing this and that they're sharing it with, with us because now we can come together and rally around them and help them and give them what they need. You know, take the baby for a day so they can go have a date night or whatever it is just to be a blessing in community. And this should be the norm. This should be the norm. For, this is what community is. You know, too many times we're going through things, but we don't want to tell anybody because we want to look like we've got our act together and you're, the community's not functioning the way it's supposed to function for you. We're supposed to do good for each other because we're going to reap a harvest. We're going to reap what we sow. And so the idea of being a community is that we would be uh, transparent and open and sharing the things that are happening in our life. And this is such an amazing thing that they're going to do this. And I just love that we as a community are going to be able to rally around them and help them. You know, this should be the norm. We should look different than the world. We should, if I got to make a sacrifice to help them in, in some way, that should be the norm. That's what community looks like. Look at Acts chapter 2 when the the Holy Spirit just came, the day of Pentecost, just came. 3,000 people were added to their number. And it says that the disciples, the believers at that time had everything in common. It tells us that some of the believers would go and sell possessions or goods or their land or something. And they'd bring the money they got from selling everything and they'd lay it at the disciples' feet. They'd say, there you go. Whatever Whatever this can be used for to glorify God and expand the kingdom, do it. Let's do it. We're in this together. It was commonplace. It was like no big deal. They just laid their stuff at the disciples' feet and they used it to expand the kingdom of God and to, and to encourage and build their community. That should be the norm for us. It shouldn't be shocking when, when somebody tells us that they're going to adopt a Down syndrome baby. That shouldn't be shocking. That should be the norm in the church, that we're doing things that look crazy to the world, things that the world would look at us and go, what in the world are you doing? They actually said they're getting some pushback from some family that aren't believers, like why are you doing this? It doesn't make any sense. They're actually frustrated with them. That's, that's what the world does. Because it doesn't make sense to the world when the church does things that are spirit-led that would cause us to sacrifice and give up a lot to help build the kingdom of God. Right? This should be the norm for us. 
And I'm thankful to be part of a community here at New Hope that I feel like, in a lot of ways, it is the norm. We rally around each other. We, we sacrifice for each other. It's really amazing. And that needs to continue and grow and build. To invite somebody into your home. To sacrifice whatever it is to help build other people, to encourage other people, especially the community of believers. That should be commonplace for us. And it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do it. So in conclusion, let me just say this. I want to share one more verse with you. It's a verse that probably almost all of you know. For many people, it's their favorite verse in the whole Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11. I love it too. Most, a lot of us can quote it from memory. This is God speaking through Jeremiah to the children of Israel. He says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Beautiful verse, right? Beautiful. The thing is, when you read this verse in context, you see that Jeremiah was actually given this word while Israel was in the midst of captivity. They were in Babylon, taken away from their homeland, the land flown with milk and honey, and put in Babylon. God spoke through Jeremiah and said, I have plans for you to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. And he also says that I want you to plant food, plant your gardens while you're here in captivity and eat the food from the gardens. I want you to marry your sons and daughters off, and I want them to have sons and daughters. I want you to increase and not decrease. During this time of captivity, he's telling them, I want you to thrive. But you know what? This is all built on community. It's all built on, they couldn't thrive on their own. Any one of the Israelites that decided, you know what, I'm just going to do this on my own, I'm going to isolate from the rest of the body, they were not going to thrive. He's saying, I want you to work together as a community, have kids, get married, have kids, grow up, increase, increase, increase. But the only way you're going to increase is through community. That's a principle of community in the Old Testament that we see that is still true today. If we want to thrive as a community of believers, we have to be in community. Committed, connected, and cohesive. That's the only way we're going to thrive. We're in a tough season in our world today. It's still tough. There's a lot going on that's difficult. Not, a, not the least of it is this pandemic. But we can thrive in the midst of it. But we need community. We need to be in community together. Committed, connected, and cohesive. Amen? Now stand with me so I can pray for us. Thank you, Lord. Just pray with me. Receive this prayer today. I know we can't come to the altar, but you don't have to come to the altar. You can be at your seat and respond to the Lord. I just encourage you, lift your hands if you're comfortable. Put to hold your hands out. Close your eyes. Do something to respond to this word today as we pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, God. You are so, so good to us. Thank you that you created us for community. Lord, I thank you for this community at New Hope today. Lord, I thank you that I'm getting to stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before me to be part of this great ministry. God, that you have blessed. And Lord, I pray that we would take ownership, that we would run with the mission and the vision that you've given us, that we would do our part to reach the lost, that we would do our part to help people take their next step, to grow in their faith. Lord, help us to commit, to connect, and to be cohesive. In Jesus' name, Lord, would you do that work in our hearts. God, help us to remember that we are in a war. We thank you today that we know we're going to win. We thank you today that we don't have to be afraid of our enemy. 
But Lord, we want to be aware. We want to be alert. And we want to be on the offensive. We're in the huddle now, but Lord, help us. Give us the strength. Give us the wisdom and the courage to go to the line of scrimmage and to confront the enemy. We're not going and looking for demons in every corner. But we know there's a battle out there. There's a battle for souls. There's people in our lives. Everyone in this room has someone in their life that does not know you. And that if they died today, would not be with you, would be separated from you. There's a battle for their soul. And Lord, we want to be fighting for their soul. That the eyes of these unbelievers would be open to the truth of your gospel. Help us to be unified in community to help open the eyes of the unbelievers. Holy Spirit, empower us. We are yours. We are completely yours, Lord. It's all about you. Would you work through us to be your hands and feet? Thank you for this community, God. We bless you today. We love you. We honor you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we give God praise? Thank you, Jesus.